Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. The church is to be a compelling, Christ-created community made up of those saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, those who are born again to new life by the Holy Spirit of God populate a Christ-created community. We are to live in such a way that we draw and are compelling to the world around us that they also may embrace Christ by faith, be saved, and join this community. It is not a closed community. We hope that it is populated by every person that we know in the world. We pray for increase to God's kingdom, knowing only he can bring it. The way Christians fulfill this responsibility is found in how we live our lives before God and with fellow man, specifically with one another. What makes the church compelling beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ, which if you ever just sit and contemplate what Christ accomplished on the cross, what a most compelling message. What makes it compelling is the visual picture of God's people who have nothing in common, embracing one another in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we live our lives with one another. Our first one another command, we looked at the command to love. We considered that the church is to be marked by Christians loving other Christians well. God's love for us, our obedience for obedience to God and love for God will move us in fulfilling the other one another commands found in Scripture. Love, as we focused on last week, is necessary for us to fulfill and carry out the other one another commands that we will find. This is especially true with this week's one another command, forgive. One another, forgive. I thought I wanted to quit when I was working through understanding love. I really wanted to give up when I was working through forgiveness. This is a massive topic, both in meaning and in scope. Every one of us is going to sin against our neighbor. In the church, I am going to sin against you, and you are going to sin against me, and God calls us to forgive one another. As I thought about how invasive sin amongst us in the church is, I started considering the very season we find ourselves in right now as two churches walking forward to becoming one church mentioned in the beginning of this series how in the church everyone has got thoughts and preferences as to how what we do is done. Every single person has a thought and a preference that we desire to see done in the church. And when someone else's preference happens and ours does not, we begin to feel, if you're anything like me, bitterness begin to grow. And when bitterness grows, Hebrews says it is an evil, bitter root. See that it doesn't grow up among you. When bitterness begins to grow, we begin to resent people around us. And as soon as we begin resenting people around us, we have a reason to go to our brother and sister and say, please forgive me. 
I have held this. So now in that short little illustration, we can understand how big of a deal this becomes, let alone some of the major violations that Christians cause other Christians. I have heard people say, the worst people to do business with are Christians. That's painful to me. We should be such exemplary people in this life that the world and other Christians want to do business with us. They want to interact with us. But because we are sinful and we are fallen, we sin against one another. Therefore, the necessity of forgiving one another. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to focus on simply one verse. In Ephesians chapter 4, would you turn your attention to the 32nd verse of chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray for help. Father, as we turn to your word, I, Lord, recognize my failure in forgiving my fellow Christians. I have failed, and I have no doubt that my weakened flesh will fail again. Oh, so Lord, help me. Strengthen me to not fail in forgiving my fellow Christians when they sin against me. Father, we need your help, and as we examine your word this morning, I pray, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the truth of your word, to work in this most sensitive of issues. Father, that we through your word and by your spirit would grow in our understanding of the doctrine of forgiveness. Father, and that would be moved to action to forgive one another as we examine your word. I pray, Father, this morning as your word is preached that sinners would be drawn to repentance and salvation. Father, I pray that the holiness of your people would be promoted, that we would recognize our forgiveness for one another as a result of being holy as you are holy. Help us, Father. And I pray, Lord, above all things, that Christ the Savior would be exalted for in him and through him and by him we have forgiveness. So he is our ultimate example here. Father, I pray that Christ would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. My aim is singular. To show the absolute necessity for a compelling Christ-created community to be a forgiving community. I have one singular aim in the sermon this morning, to show that a compelling Christ-created community is to be a forgiving community. For you note-takers, write down this first of several, I'm sure, heavy notes. Forgiving one another is not an option. Forgiving one another is not an option. We are called to forgive. Look at our verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. This verse could be worded in light of last Sunday's message on loving one another. This verse could be worded, love one another and forgive one another. Paul says, be to the Ephesians church. Be. In the Greek, this word in its form written here is an imperative 
command. It is not an if you can, if you're able. Paul is writing saying, be kind. An action. The one another commands are actions by us to be taken. You are to be. Be, he says here, kind. These two words, kind and tenderhearted in the Greek, carry with them very similar thought to brotherly love. We considered last week those three forms of love that are commonly accepted. We talked about loving unconditionally, agape. The other form of love that is used in the Greek is phileo, brotherly love. This here, be kind and tenderhearted, that carries that thought of brotherly love. Some of the words that they use to define the Greek word, compassion, pleasant, benevolent. So be kind, be tenderhearted, be compassionate, be pleasant, be benevolent. I found this interesting. In the defining words of the Greek, fit for use. Be fit for use. To someone. Be useful to someone else. So when we consider the opening of this verse, be kind to one another, tender hearted, be useful, be fit for use, be compassionate. This is summing up all of the second table of the Ten Commandments. This is our life, our obedience to God. But the context of it, I want to make sure we keep in mind is not to all of those beyond the walls of the church. It is to all of those within the walls of the church. He's writing to the saints of the church at Ephesus. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I want us to observe this verse 32 in light of verse 30. Would you look up with me? Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He goes into verse 31. Let all, anger, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And oh boy, when I read it, I thought, that's a whole lot of sermons right there in that verse. Then verse 32. In light of verse 30, again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Holy Spirit's work in the church is to bind all Christians together in unity to the Savior, to our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is a unifying, sanctifying work binding us together. And in light of verse 30, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, so as to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so the challenge becomes this. When we are not kind to one another, when we are not tender-hearted to one another, when we are not forgiving of one another, we are grieving, that is, causing an offense to the Holy Spirit of God. I love this word here when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This brings the, the person of the Holy Spirit out of the Godhead because we how often focus on God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, we have a harder time understanding. But when this verse here says, do not grieve, it brings out that person of the Holy Spirit. 
our lack of kindness, our lack of compassion, our lack of benevolence, our lack of forgiveness is an offense to the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Be kind to one another. I have this note I wrote down last night. I had already typed everything out and then I was just reflecting on it again and I wrote this down. A lack of forgiveness will always lead to disunity. Think about it in your home. Think about it between homes. Think about it in your family, the larger family context. Think about it in the work world. Think about it wherever you want. A lack of forgiveness will always lead to disunity. If you withhold forgiveness, if you do not seek forgiveness, it will always lead to disunity and how much more in the church. How many churches have burned to the ground because Christians did not obey the command of Jesus Christ to forgive one another. And instead, in their lack of forgiveness, they were disunified, grieving the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiveness is one of the greatest biblical doctrines in meaning and in scope. We are talking about the entirety of God's word. All of God's word is showing us our need for forgiveness from God. I cannot give any treatment to this well in one hour. I could spend the next four hours and not do good justice. The last time I taught on the doctrine of forgiveness, doctrine, what does that word mean? I hear you say that. It simply means what the Bible teaches on any given topic. Doctrine, what the Bible teaches on any given topic. The last time I taught on forgiveness, I spent four weeks and barely scratched the surface. We're not going to do much, but I hope that this high-level view, however daunting, however massive, however challenging and difficult it is for us, I hope we will dig into it more because it is a doctrine that we must pursue and we must get right. It flows out of our love, but love that does not forgive offense and love that keeps record of wrong is not love from God. First Corinthians makes that clear. So forgiveness must flow out of our love for one another, but love cannot simply ignore offense. It does cover, the Bible says, a multitude of offenses. So as I grow in my love for you, I am much more willing to not look at the offense you caused to me as I love you. That's how that works. For anybody who's ever been confused about that, someone offends you, someone grieves you, the love that you have for them because of the love that God had for you covers that offense because you love them more than you are offended by them. Everyone follow? Give me blank looks. This is a hard doctrine. The disciples said to Jesus, this is hard, who can do it? And they walked away from him. As I grow in my godly love for you, I will be more willing to overlook the petty offenses that you cause against me. And so likewise, you to me, when I offend you, because love covers, the Bible says, a multitude of sins. We are to be forgiving. As we are loving, we are not as offended. We are more willing to forgive, more easily ready to forgive. I selected Ephesians 4 this morning. I could have chosen Matthew 5. I could have chosen Matthew 6, Matthew 18, Luke 17, somewhere in Mark 11. I could have chosen Colossians 3. I list all of these for this purpose. The biblical doctrine of forgiveness is one that is talked about in major ways by our Lord Jesus Christ all the way through to the apostles. We don't get off the hook 
for forgiving one another. And so as I talk, I want you to think about the ways in which you've been grieved or offended or sinned against by, let's say, one another. Perhaps not in this room. Let's confine it to a compelling Christ-created community, the church. But perhaps also because there are two groups of people here, one big group of people here, and we're all from one small little community, perhaps we do need to consider those that are in the room. Have you been sinned against? Have you sinned against someone else? The Bible this morning calls you to forgiveness between one another. What is forgiveness? My definition, very easily. Being set free or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. What is forgiveness? Setting someone free or being set free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. This is simple doctrine, but we need forgiveness because we are sinners. Now, you may tire of me talking about us being sinners. That's okay. You can find any number of churches in the world that will tell you you're not a sinner. But it's not going to be me. Because I am a sinner. We are sinners. The Bible says so. And so without me just saying, because I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. No, I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. We are all sinners because God's word tells us sin has made an utter ruin of mankind. Me, you, everyone. We are wholly and completely affected by it. We are stained by it. We need forgiveness. This is not to say that we are as sinful as we can be. Those who've been with me for a while know that I like to believe that you're a good person. I like to think you are good people. But the reality is that every aspect of every one of our lives is stained by sin. We are affected by sin. My best love for my wife, for my children, for you, my best theology, my best understanding of God's word, my best practice of Christian living is marred by sin. I need the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in me to see that grow and improve, but it is affected and cannot be any other way in this life. Paul says, who will save me from this body of death? I'm trapped here. Who will save me? Praise be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Simple doctrine, we need forgiveness from sin, but what is sin? I enjoy catechisms. They help me to learn doctrine. They help me to teach my children and others. I like this catechism question. It asks simply, what is sin? What is sin? And I hope you have an answer for it. I hope that you can answer what sin is. And I hope that it's not, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't cuss, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I hope it's not those answers. I hope that the answer is near to this catechism. It says, what is sin? Answer, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Not doing or being what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Simply, for my children, what is sin? Sin is ignoring or rejecting God and the world he created. Not doing or being what he requires in his law. Our struggle against sin comes in two ways. Simply, sin is any violation of God's law or God's command. I didn't put this on the screen for you, so I'm going to say it slowly so you can write it down. We must understand, sin is both doing what God says not to do, write it down, note takers, sin is both doing what God says not to do and 
not doing what God says to do. We love to leave sin at the wrong done. Sin is also the right thing not done. Our struggle comes in two ways. First, original sin. It's inherited from conception. We as Christians, I hope, agree that life begins at conception. We challenge the world's view of the loss of human life because we say when life begins at conception, it should be protected and the world says it can be discarded up until the time that it's born. How awful. We should still be praying that we would see an end to abortion. We believe that life begins at conception. With that comes this thought and moreover reality. Sin also begins at conception. None of us were born free of iniquity and sin. David exclaimed in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David, the great psalmist, the great king, the great shepherd, the great example, I was conceived in and born in sin, a man after God's own heart. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve broke God's command and thereby broke mankind for forever. Being created able to sin and able to not sin, they chose to sin by breaking God's command and thus breaking us. How hard is it for us to obey what God says to do? That's because every aspect of our life is touched by sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 3.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 3.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Romans 5.12 teaches us that sin came into the world by one man and so death came and death spread to all men because all sinned. It's a problem for every one of us. Nobody is sitting here today without the need of forgiveness from God. And I don't know if you have been set free from that original sin or not. Original sin separates man from God and it must be dealt with by repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not repented of sin, God forgive me, I am a sinner then you're missing out on God's commands. You're not obeying what God says. You need forgiveness from God. Original sin, it doesn't get easier for us. Ongoing sin, there's where we offend one another. Original sin and ongoing sin. Everyone in here, from the youngest child out in the nursery to the oldest person in this room, affected by sin. Every one of us needing forgiveness for original sin, but then also sinning against one another. Ongoing sin is the weakness of the flesh to carry out the righteousness of God. Young children in the room, when you don't obey your parents, that is sin's effect on full display. I pray for our young people to be saved. I pray for the effect of faithful teachers and nurseries and children's church to see the salvation of God in the lives of our children because none of them, no matter how good they may look to you and no matter how good they may present to the church, none of them are free from sin and none of them are free from the need of redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. And ongoing sin displays this. Sin against 
always, sin is always against God, and sometimes sin against God is against man. Think about these questions. How do we sin against others? I don't feel like I sin against other people. How do I sin against other people? I don't do that. Sure you do. When you fail to love one another as God loved you, you're sinning against your neighbor. When you do not forgive, you're sinning against your neighbor. When you do not tolerate, you're sinning against your neighbor. In the church, Christian to Christian, not out in the world, if we don't get it right here, we can't get it right out there. When we fail to carry out God's commands to one another, we sin against one another. I don't do wrong to people. No, you may not, but sin isn't just doing wrong. Sin is not doing the right thing that God commands. How do we know when we sin against people? This seems daunting. Well, it is. But for the Holy Spirit of God living in us, as Jesus said, he came to convict the world according to sin. When we sin as newborn Christians in a community created by Christ, when we sin, the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin. In this life, we will sin against other people and others will sin against you. We're two churches walking forward to becoming one church. We're going to cause offense to one another. That's just going to happen. And if we don't accept that, if we don't understand the reality of how grievous our sin has affected us, we may not deal in the doctrine of biblically forgiving one another as God calls us to. When we sin against others, we must seek forgiveness. And when others sin against us, we must forgive them. I wanted to make this note. We must not forgive according to the world's pattern. The world's pattern of forgiveness must be unlearned. And if this is your way of thinking about forgiving one another, I hope that today is the beginning of your unlearning the world's pattern, which God says do not conform to. Think about these statements. I'll forgive them when I'm good and ready. Forgiveness is not on your timetable. It's on God's timetable. You don't forgive people when you're good and ready. You forgive people when they sin against you. I got to think about this. I got to let this sit. No, no, no. What you're talking about is restoration. But reconciliation must be made quickly. And when someone sins against you and your attitude becomes, I will go to them when I'm ready, you are withholding from them what God did not withhold from you. Do you think that God came to you and he was ready to forgive you? God came to you, the Bible says, while you were still a sinner. You were dead in your trespasses and God demonstrated his love for us in this, that Christ died for the ungodly. We do not forgive on our timetable. We forgive on God's timetable. Restoration is a long process. Setting things right with one another is a long process. Forgiveness is not. I just don't think I'm ready to forgive them. Have you ever thought about what if Christ said that about you? These are thoughts that I wrestled this week. What if Christ's attitude toward me was, when I'm good and ready to forgive John White, I'll die for him and forgive him? Nope. Bible says, before the foundation of the world, the eternal son of God, his action was dying for the sins of his people. Not when he was ready, before we even knew we needed it. I'll forgive them when I'm good and ready. Well, I'll forgive them, but don't expect me to like them. 
What if Jesus Christ forgave you, but then didn't call you brother? But then took his time in saying, well, I, I might warm up to you. God's pattern must be followed, not the world's. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. This is why original sin must be dealt with first. Listen, you cannot forgive unless you have been forgiven by God. You must be forgiven by God in order to forgive other people. In fact, forgiveness is a sign of regeneration, new birth. Jesus says, Matthew 6, you can look it up and read it. If you will not forgive man when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. It is a sign of new birth. We forgive because God has forgiven us. The world. Someone sins against us, what does the world say? Get back at them. You'll get your revenge. Sin against them. That's the devil. Any thought that you should do in kind to what someone has done to you? No. Get your revenge. God says, leave room for my vengeance. The world says, do to others what they do to you. And God says, do to others what you would do to you. Matthew chapter 7, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we all want to be forgiven, do we not? If you don't want to be forgiven, there is a much deeper fundamental problem at play. So what does it look like for us to forgive one another? How do we forgive one another? Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just as with love. Love one another. How? As Christ loves you. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Any right understanding of forgiving one another must come from how we have been forgiven and from whom we needed forgiveness. It says, as God Forgive one another as God. I hope to instruct someone in this thought this morning. This is deeply Trinitarian, which means we believe that God is equally one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somebody started to snore and say, Pastor, it's so boring. No, it's fundamental. And if you don't know it, you're going to be misguided in your understanding of God's word. God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is holy and entirely sinless. In the world, there is a pervasive false doctrine that is entering the church, and I won't be surprised when it walks through the doors into our gathering that Jesus sinned. How offensive to us. Utterly without sin. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all sinless. James tells us, 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt with evil. 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus committed no sin. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was without sin. In John 14 and 16, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth and the helper. If any part of the Godhead is affected by sin, we have a big problem with what the Bible teaches us. If the Holy Spirit is sinful, how is he going to help us by convicting us of sin? If I do not know the righteous commands of God, how can I help you follow 
the righteous commands of God. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus said the helper would remind us of all that Jesus taught. The helper would help us, empower us, enable us to live holy and godly lives. Forgiveness must start with God because God is the only infinitely holy being ever. God has existed eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, entirely sinless. Must be forgiven by God. How do we forgive? We forgive as God, who was holy, forgave us. God is holy, and this is an intersection in doctrine of Scripture. God is holy and says what to his people? Be what? This is where I engage you to make sure you're awake. God says to his people, be what? Be holy as what? I am Right, be holy. So God forgives us because he is holy and he says, you forgive one another because you are to be holy as I am holy. So if you are not holy, regenerate by faith in Christ Jesus, the spirit living in you, you are not going to forgive one another correctly, well, or potentially even at all. You must be born again. You must be living, striving after a holy life. And that responsibility, dear friends, lies in your lap. You, be holy as I am holy. I am separate of sin eternally as God. You are not, but you ought to be striving to be separate from sin. And so, forgive one another as God Second point, and it's a major one, as God in Christ. I don't know how many people have ever thought about it. Perhaps you've just glanced over it, but I'm going to tell you right now, my world discombobulated this weekend as I focused on as God in Christ. Boy, people are not entirely offended by Christian doctrine until you start talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. There is the great and major offense of what we believe. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 50s, good preacher from Wales, talked about people enjoying Christian doctrine up to the point of being told, but you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Wait a second, don't you tell me I'm a sinner? There is the offense and the necessity of the cross. And we cannot talk about the cross unless we talk about Christ as God in Christ a major point, forgiveness comes from God in one way, by one person, Jesus' death. No other death. My death cannot atone for your sin. Your death cannot atone for my sin. Parents, you cannot die for your children's sin. Children, you cannot die for your parents' sin. We will stand before a holy God, and it will be only on the basis of Christ's death and applied blood that we understand fully our forgiveness by grace through faith. In Christ, in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. Romans 3.25, God put forward Christ as a propitiation. That's a big word that I want us to understand. An appeasing, a soothing, a making of amends. God put forward Christ to make amends for us. Put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here's the point. 
any forgiveness from Jesus Christ that is divorced from the cross and blood of Jesus Christ is bad doctrine. You're not saved because Christ was good, though he was. You're not saved because you understand or believe what Christ did. The Bible is clear. We are saved because Jesus died for us. Because God put Jesus forward. Isaiah says, chapter 53, God was pleased to crush him. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He gave himself up for our sin by his blood. When we talk about forgiveness of sin, we must talk about his blood. I have this thought for us, almost a rolling application, if you will. I can't shed my blood to forgive you, but forgiving you should cost me something. I want you to think about that. Christ shed his blood for you. I can't spill my blood to forgive you, but it ought to cost me something. And what? Uh, oh. Let's get really uncomfortable. It ought to cost me wanting to forgive you when I don't want to. When there's no conceivable understanding as to why I would do it as God in Christ. Why did God send his son? That's where our forgiving one another starts. Why would you forgive that person? Even, even person, why would you forgive me? Because the love of Christ compels me. It costs. People say, how could you forgive? How could you let go? How could you talk to? Because I am new. I am not my own. The blood of Jesus Christ, where we find forgiveness, cost Jesus his life. Lloyd-Jones, in the same sermon I was listening to, makes the point that for God to forgive us in the blood of Jesus Christ was the hardest thing God ever did. And I'm going to be honest, I listened and started thinking, Jones, I'm not sure I agree with you yet, keep talking. He started talking about how the God of the universe created all things by the word of his mouth. Let there be, let there be. Think about the accounts of Jesus Christ in the gospel. He healed blind people with the word. He healed lame people with the word. He cast out demons with the word. By the word of his mouth, he upholds and sustains all things, Hebrews says. So then why didn't God just say, let man be forgiven and call it a day? Because the wages of sin is death. Blood had to atone for sin. The hardest thing God ever did was forgive mankind. What a point to just dwell on and consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. People love to talk about how God wants to be in a relationship with us. I want you to consider what it cost to be in a relationship with us. We need forgiveness to become right with God. We need forgiveness to be right with one another. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. I made note that says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In Sunday school this morning, the men were talking about uh, conversion. 
and we being born again, and in that conversion becomes death to sin and life to righteousness. That becomes the struggle of the Christian life, to actually do what God commands. That's ongoing sin challenging us, weakness of the flesh, to obey the righteous commands of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 10.12, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. So, You see, quickly, in a brief survey, and I could go on and on and would love to. We need forgiveness from God in Christ. How do we forgive one another? We forgive as God in Christ forgave who? You. Now it becomes personal. You. As God in Christ forgave you. Mankind's greatest need. Young children, listen to me. Your greatest need is forgiveness from God your Father. You recognize it and realize it when your parents forgive you for the wrongs you commit against them. You see the goodness and grace of God, but your greatest need in this life is forgiveness from God. Not to memorize scripture verses, not to sing songs, not to go to Sunday school. Forgiveness from God. Parents, your greatest responsibility as parents is to demonstrate the forgiveness of God to your children. Parents, you must know the forgiveness of God in Christ for you to forgive your children. And boy, don't I know sometimes it's hard to forgive them. Don't we know that sometimes it's hard for parents to forgive the offense that a child causes? God forgave you. Mankind's greatest need since Adam and Eve's sin in the garden is forgiveness. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. I make this point only in passing, but it's a shocker, so buckle up, hang on, whatever you got to do. When an unredeemed sinner dies, they receive precisely what they deserve, and God is justified in sending that unredeemed sinner to a place of eternal judgment. We don't like it. It's not comfortable even to say it out loud. But when an unredeemed sinner dies in their sin, they receive precisely what they deserved. Oh, they they need justice. They got it. This is the contradiction of the cross. The cross is injustice for the saved sinner. We never think about it that way. You don't deserve salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But God sent his son. They called him Jesus. When God saves you, he gives you what you do not deserve. Oh, praise God for grace. Thief on the cross knew this. Think about the thief on the cross. What lesson did he teach us? He's hanging there. One's reviling at Jesus, railing at him. And what did the other thief say? Remember what he said? Remember the words of the thief? We deserve this. He doesn't. He's done nothing. Pilate said, I find no wrong in him deserving death. He didn't deserve it. We do. But God, oh, here comes the love. Here comes the grace. Here comes the mercy. Here comes the good news. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says the saying is, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, full acceptance, that Jesus came into the world to what? Oh, save sinners. 
The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to save sinners. If his whole purpose in coming was to save you, and in saving you, God forgives you in Christ, then what is your responsibility to one another? To go and to forgive one another in the great measure with which you have been forgiven. Forgave you. Romans 4.25, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, we read it in Sunday school. God being rich in mercy, I underscored in my notes. Because of the great love with which he loved us, God loved us first. From eternity past, God loved us because of that love, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Hang on, hold that thought. Dead in trespasses, when do you go and forgive someone? When they're in their sin against you. You can't clean yourself up to go to God, nor should you be waiting for someone to clean themselves up and come to you. Forgive one another. How? Go to them while they're in their sin against you. Meet them first. This is the lesson of the cross. Meet them first as God in Christ forgave you. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How should I forgive a Christian that sins against me? By grace. By giving them what they do not deserve because that is what God gave to you. You extend the same grace that God extended to you to a Christian when they sin against you. The death of Christ on the cross is how God is able to forgive sinful man. Born to an Irish minister in the 1840s, Charity Lease Bancroft. Put your hand up if you've ever heard of Charity Bancroft. Anybody? Well, you love the song she wrote. She wrote these words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. And we sing, behold, before the throne of God above, we sing it. I wonder how often we take these words for granted, and I wonder how often we consider when someone sins against us, we look in the same direction. Because of Christ, I can forgive you. God forgives us in Christ. That's how he looks on Christ, his beloved son who bore the sins in his body on the cross and he forgives us. And so if you sin against me or if I sin against you, we look the same direction to Jesus and say, because of what Christ has done, I can also forgive. In that pardon, to look on him and pardon me. In that pardon, Psalm 103 verse three says that God removes our sin from us, as far as east is from west. How do you forgive one another? How do I forgive one another? By removing sin from the person that sinned against me as far as east is from west. Pastor, I can't forget what that person did to me. No, you cannot. But guess what? God says in the new covenant, in Christ, as God in Christ forgave you, in Jeremiah and in Hebrews, Old and New Testament, God says in Christ their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. 
Pastor, I can't forget the sin that they sinned against me, but that's what God does for you. And you are to forgive, Ephesians says, as God in Christ forgave you. So when you forgive one another, you choose to say, I won't hold it against them. I won't keep this record of debt pinned on their Facebook wall to remind me of their offense against me. I will choose, and you have to. And I have to. I will choose to not remember. This is like unconditional love. It's impossible for us, but it's what we're commanded to. We can't love unconditionally. Neither can we forget when someone sins against us, but that's what you're called to. That's as God in Christ forgiving you. We'll work our way to closing a little longer this morning, but I pray that God's word is having effect in God's people. What does it look like to forgive one another? Think about these statements that perhaps you've uttered when someone has sinned against you. I have been hurt so deeply by that person. I have been hurt so often by that person. They are so awful in their attitude and life and conduct to me. Oh, I'm talking about Christians in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. I've watched it all my life. I've been so grievously hurt. How am I supposed to forgive, let alone how can I find the power to forgive How often am I to forgive, right? How many of us know the the repeat offender in your life? They sin against you, you forgive them, they come back. This is most understood. Bear with me for the illustration. Sorry, bear with me. How can she continue to go back to him when he abuses her so? How can she continue to do that? I'm giving that most grave of illustrations for a purpose. What is most commonly heard? If you've been in my shoes, you've heard it. You've wept with women as they've said it. He said he's sorry. I know, but he says he's sorry. Are you offended by the thought of that? Does that thought offend you? Jesus said, if your brother comes to you multiple times in a day and sins against you, you forgive him every time. Now, I want to be very careful. I am not saying that a person in harm's way should remain in harm's way. We should look to protect innocent people and help them. But the, the offense of that thought is precisely what Jesus teaches us in forgiving one another. Repeat offenders abound in the church just like they do in the world. And Jesus says, you forgive them. Forgive those who sin against you every time they come. Jesus said, when your brother comes and says, I repent, oh my goodness. Luke chapter 17, verse four, write it down, the words of Christ. When your brother comes to you and says, I repent, Jesus says, you must forgive. Forgiveness is not an option when your brother comes to you. Now this becomes interesting because on the biblical path to forgiveness, 
We all love the thought that the person who sins against us should come to us, do we not? I'll wait. They'll come to me. I'll, I'll listen. I'll receive them when they get here. But I'm going to wait for them to come to me. That's the world's timetable, not God's timetable. When you sin against your brother, Matthew 5 says it is your responsibility to go to that person as quickly as possible seeking forgiveness. When a brother or sister sins against you, Matthew 18 says it is your responsibility to go to that person and point out their fault. So on a biblical path to forgiveness, believers in the church should meet as they go to one another as quickly as they can. How am I to forgive one another? Forgive one another quickly. Restoration takes time, but forgive quickly. Whichever action you have to take, you should be going hopeful and looking for the beginning of reconciliation. But what about this? They won't receive forgiveness if I go to them. (laughs) Well, I would go, but they don't want to hear it. Guess what? Go anyway. That's what God says. We don't go depending on whether or not sinners against us will receive the forgiveness we extend or whether us sinning against someone will extend forgiveness to us. We go because God says you forgive and you do it quickly. Maybe you're here today and somebody that you needed to forgive has passed away from this life. Maybe they've moved away. I can't contact them. I don't know where. Listen, this is the power of God's grace. Confess to Jesus the sin that you've committed and extend forgiveness. It's a heart issue for you. Forgive the person that offended you, that is dead, that moved away, that you can't contact, and allow God's grace to cover that you may walk in forgiveness. I'm going to close. It's been a long sermon. You understand why I told you we can't cover all of it? We've barely scratched it. Now it's your responsibility. We gather, and then we go. And I promise you, it would not take very long for us to figure out that we need to go and ask forgiveness from someone or we need to go and offer forgiveness to someone and you can't wait to do that on your own time. As God in Christ forgave you, if you need to offer or seek forgiveness with someone that is in this building, listen to me. Do it before you leave here. Go quickly as we begin to grasp the importance of this one another command, we will become more compelling. Think about how more compelling we'd be even to one another. When I watch forgiveness happen between people, when I experience forgiving someone or someone forgiving me, I'm so close to what God in Christ did for me. It's a mark of the born-again believer. It's a demonstration of the gospel and it is how a compelling community is called to live together. Our God and our King, I trust your spirit and your word because I know that I am broken and weakened by sin. Father, I pray in humility for myself and for all those that are gathered here. God, help us to deal in forgiveness with one another. Oh God, may we experience and understand what you have done for us in Christ as we go and forgive one another. Father, bring healing, bring restoration, bring hope. Father, I pray that the newness of life that we experience through faith in Jesus Christ would be experienced by us as we forgive one another. 
and relationships begin to heal. As we glorify you, as we proclaim the gospel, oh God, help us. Help us to be a people that forgive one another as you in Christ have forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.